Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. Hi, I'm Heather Renee May. And this is Flipping Dreams Podcast. One, two, three, four. I try to be a sectary. Good, good, be and I try to be a negative. What did I see? Hello, Flipping Dreamers. Welcome back. Today's episode, I'm really excited to share with you David Johns from across the pond in the UK. Um, You may or may not be aware of David's YouTube channels, uh, Cruising the Cut, and Vandemonium. But what you may not know is that David has a long history of broadcasting with ITV and the BBC before he started launching his YouTube channels. Uh, The Cruising the Cut is the one that I'm most familiar with, and it's all about him living full-time aboard a narrowboat and cruising the canals in the UK. And I thought this would be a really great story once I started digging into the history of the canals and getting excited myself about maybe planning a trip to go uh, abroad and do rent you know, rent a narrow boat myself and go in the canals. I thought you might be interested as well to know a little bit more about this. Meet David, find out uh, what makes him so passionate about the canals and uh, maybe plan a trip for yourself. So I hope you enjoy this episode. And again, please subscribe and share with friends. I really appreciate it. It helps me grow my audience. And thank you again for listening to Flipping Dreams. All right. Such a pleasure to meet you virtually. Oh, well, thank you very much. And the same. Hello. <laughs> hello. Hello. Love a little techn- technical difficulties. I mean, I'm a software engineer during the day. So, you know, if it can go wrong, it will go wrong. And I know you know that because you have a background. In Gremlins CS. will always infect the system. Yes. Yes, yes totally. Um, so thank you for coming on Flipping Dreams. Um, I uh, found I kind of found you by way of Gone with the Winds. And oh, the yes. narrowboat stuff with them. And then that kind of sent me down the rabbit hole of all things narrowboat. I mean, I ended up with books. I ended up with... Oh, my word. <laughs> I ended up... You've really gone for it. I did. Uh, well, I, I'm a bit obsessive when I get into something I'm interested in. I'm just curious. And um, I ended up watching Prunella Scales and Timothy West. 
uh, show and then started following your YouTube channel for uh, Cruising the Cut, which is now on Prime. So people can stream uh, yeah, it on yeah, Prime, yeah. which is awesome. Indeed. Well, they, they can stream up to about 2020 on Prime. And for reasons I won't go into, everything else after that is on YouTube. Okay. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. Um, so first of all, like most, I know there are, there is a large subset of, you know, us folks that know about the cut and are passionate yes. about narrow boats. Uh, but mm. most people aren't. And so this, um, I would love for you to give me kind of a history of the canals, um, because you, you know, you know so much about this and, and kind of introduce this to my listeners of what is this all, all right. about? Well, in a nutshell, wind your mind back. I suppose 250, 300 years, the Industrial Revolution was underway in Britain. People had just discovered how to make things en masse in factories instead of making them one by one. And so they needed raw goods. They needed coal for the factories. They needed silk. They needed cotton. They needed wood. They needed supplies. And then the finished product needed to be transported away as well. Now, at the time, there were no cars, obviously. There were no railways, railroads um, at the time. And the roads such as they were, were really dirt tracks, lumpy, bumpy dirt tracks. And a horse would pull a cart over these dirt tracks. And a horse could pull, so they say, about a ton of goods. But it was very bumpy. Stuff would get broken. It was very slow. And all these factory owners needed a better way to import the things they needed to make goods and then the finished goods out to the ports to be exported around the world, British Empire being at the time what it was. And some genius came up with the idea, I mean, they weren't the first canals go back thousands of years, but in terms of the Industrial Revolution, I think it was the Duke of Bridgewater who wanted a way to get coal um, a relatively short distance uh, to his factories. And he said, right, what we'll do is we'll dig a shallow ditch, fill it with water, and then that same horse that could only pull a ton by cart can pull about 30 tons on a flat laden barge, walking at about four, three, four miles an hour, and all the goods get transported in this serene manner from A to B. And it was as big a transformation as the Internet is today. It really was. It made the Industrial Revolution happen because suddenly the factories could produce stuff en masse. And the canal network, there was a canal mania, just like there was an Internet mania around at the, the turn of the century, you know, around 2000. There was a canal mania. People were piling in with thousands of pounds to dig all these new canals. So across England, from London to Birmingham in the Midlands, up to the industrial heartlands in the north of England. This whole network of canals was dug. Very shallow, but man-made ditches filled with water, along which horses could pull barges full of stuff. And eventually, of course, trains came along, roads came along, the canals fell into disrepair, and by the 1950s, most of the network was just overgrown. There was no water in it, loads of shopping carts, things like that, just junk and then some enthusiasts got together and said, this is terrible. We must preserve our history. And to cut the very long story short, they did 2,000 miles of the originally 4,000-mile network is now back in water and in use, albeit largely now for leisure pursuits, as well as some people who live aboard. That is so – what a rich history. Um, and I know, mm. like I was reading in the Maiden's, uh, Maiden's Trip book that Emma Smith wrote um, about the women, like, during wartime that were, like – piloting the you know these narrow boats that were laden down with coal or whatever you know just like what you're describing um and so like for me it's just so fascinating and i love i love a good story of something that was like fallen into disrepair 
and then the people come together and grassroots and bring it back. Like I, there's nothing better. Yes, there's a very famous chap. And in fact, I think you just held up his book a moment ago, um, LTC Rolt, yeah. who took a holiday on a narrowboat called Cressy. And my goodness, it was basic back then because the canals, this was in the night, I think it was, it was just after the war, 1950-something. I, I forget the exact date. But the canals were pretty much derelict. And he still managed to take his holiday with his wife on the boat. And that formed his inspiration he and some other people formed the Inland Waterways Association, and they lobbied the government to say, no more, let's let's get these canals back up and running again. And it was because of their efforts um, and a willingness on the part of some people in the government at the time to say, OK, not a bad idea, that we now have the canal network um, as it is today. That is so amazing. Um, I I have some similar parallels in my life with this uh, with ferry boats in New York City. And that I had started a grassroots campaign, I guess, 12 years ago uh, with si signatures to Mayor Bloomberg at the time uh, to bring back ferry service that had gone, used to be subsidized, and then it went went away. The docks fell apart. Um, long story short, ended up getting our local councilman to put some funds from a bocce court towards an eco-dock. And, uh, you know, it, it, 12 years later, there's commuter ferry service again at this dock. Uh, Fantastic. but, um, but it was all from a grassroots campaign. It was literally yeah. from, there was no money involved on my end. It was just me going, getting signatures, uh, being in the media, going to all of the city council meetings and the city planning meetings and all of that. Um, and you know, they called me the fairy lady for a really long time. It was great. And they were afraid <laughs> of me, but all I had was a website. Do you have t-shirts with that I on? Know, I know I should. I really do. Um, but, but you know, and it's it's not about me, but I think the, the point I'm trying to make is that, you know, it only takes one or two people that are really passionate about something to make a difference. Like you don't have yes. to be rich. You don't have to have a ton of resources. You just have to really, really care. And yes, I, and absolutely. I cared because... I was standing on a on a bus, an express bus, looking out over the waterways, standing for 45 minutes to get into the city for like a nine minute boat ride. And I thought, why aren't there boats? And I was so angry. And that's why I got angry. And so sometimes you have to get angry to get things. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, OK, but let's I, I want to dig into your life living aboard. But before I do, I did notice in your um episode about three months ago, you interviewed Richard Perry, the CEO of the Canal and River Trust. And yes. that news was fairly interesting. And so since we're kind of talking about this like arc of, of maintenance of, you know, re restoration and maintenance of the canals, like um, I'd love for you to share kind of that fairly not great news. Uh <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't want to get political, um, no, no. but it does involve me talking briefly about government because I, I have to in, in terms of what's 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 happening. The canals, there, there are about 2000 miles of canals and they are 250 years old. And it's not just the ditch itself, but there are locks in order to enable the canal to go up and downhill. You have to have locks which have gates and sluices. There are by washes. There's quite a bit of a kind of hidden infrastructure that as you go along on a boat, you probably don't notice, but there are all kinds of things to do with the way the water is moved around the system. There are pumping stations and things like that, and there are reservoirs that need to be maintained. It costs an absolute fortune. And the trouble is, 
that the Canal and River Trust, which is a charitable organisation that was spun out of being a government department, uh, I think it was back in 2012, it used to be British Waterways, that was part of government. They spun it out to be a self-supporting charitable trust. And they said, we will give you a certain amount of money each year for a certain number of years, but you are going to have to stand on your own two feet. And Although the CRT do a certain amount of fundraising, for example, boat owners have to pay a license fee to put their boat on the water. There are people who donate to the trust. The trust also makes commercial income from renting out some of its buildings. There are telecommunications wires that run alongside the canals. They can charge for that, etc., etc. The trouble is they simply haven't got enough money merely for the maintenance that's needed. A lot of the locks are made out of brick and it's all crumbling. It's the original brick. It's 300-year-old brick, and it's it's falling apart. They haven't got the money to maintain it as is, let alone there are lots of also canal restorations going on, so they're going to add to the pressures. And the reason I interviewed Richard um, a few months ago was that the government has now announced what happens from 2027 onwards for the subsequent 10 years, which is they are going to reduce that grant that they give the Canal and River Trust. And that is just going to make things harder. Um, and the situation is just going to get worse. They, they they are overstretched as it is. They can't maintain what we've got. Something is going to snap. Something's going to have to give. And that's the point that Richard was making. I, I love that. I did also love your point of like, you know, some of the possible suggestions that had come to you of like how to solve for this problem of like, you know, maybe people could own patches of the canal and, you know, kind of like they do in highways here in the U.S. Or, um, you know, I think that ultimately there's only so much we can get out of government. We hope we can get more. But honestly, it comes down to the people. And I think that when people have a sense of ownership of a thing, they take care of it. So figuring out That's how to get definitely that. the case. Yeah. The trouble is hooking people in because the towpaths, which is T-O-W paths, not tow as in your toe on your foot, which some people get confused. They're towing because the horses used to tow the boats. Um, and there is a towpath along the side of the entire 2000 miles of canal. Now, anyone can walk along that. It's a it's the, the most massive, giant, open-air park across the entire country. You could walk from London to Lancaster along the canals if you wanted. Uh, but pedestrians don't have to pay anything for the use of the canals. Boaters do. Anglers do. They pay a licence fee to fish on the canals. Uh, who else does? Uh, I don't think other people do, but cyclists, pedestrians, joggers, anyone can come and use the canals. They don't have to pay any money. So we need to get the message across to them that if they want the canals still to be there, they should consider chipping in something to help maintain yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and, and lots of other things, of course. People complain that the, uh, the CRT executives pay themselves too much money and that it should be going on this, that and the other. Sure, but you sure. can argue that the world over. You know, yeah. If you don't pay them enough, you won't have the qualified people and so on. Yeah. But I think, so I think what would be interesting for folks to know is like what the appeal is of the canals. Cause to me, I mean, I just, I love to travel. I love water. And like when I'm seeing your videos, um, it's like, first of all, you can only go like a maximum of five knots in these boats. So it's this leisurely pace. You're going alongside cows and pasture and beautiful land. Oh, there's a pub. You pop over, you you know, pop off on the towpath, hit the pub, then you get back in. Where do we want to moor up for the night? Like it's just a, a lovely way of slowing down and also very accessible for people to be able to go and charter themselves because you're not having to learn 
huge navigation skills. Yes, you need to understand locks, but like, you know, it's not a huge learning curve. So I'd love to hear about like, how did you get, where did your passion come for this? And how did you get involved? Well, when I was a child, my father, who worked in the marine industry all his life, he was passionate about sailing. And I absolutely hated it. And to this day, I'm not a sailor. I used to get um, terrible hay fever, allergies to grass and trees and things when I was a kid. So whenever we went along to the boat at weekends, it was horrendous because my eyes were just streaming and it was it was horrible. So I, I never had good memories of that. But something clearly is within me that likes boats. Um, and I remember 15, 20 years ago, there, there used to be a big London boat show at Earl's Court. And I looked at, they're mostly ocean-going boats, but they had a very little section about the inland waterways. I looked at a narrow boat and I went, oh, you'll never get me on one of these. They're far too narrow and cramped. And then a few years later, I simply got tired of my job and, and the sameness of it all. I went, you know what, I'm going to do something else. And it ended up that I decided I would buy a narrow boat and live on the canals. And the appeal is, as you've kind of just mentioned it is a very tranquil get away from it all way of life even not as a boat owner if you step away from the roads you walk down to the canal it's going to be tree lined there are birds tweeting in the trees there are ducks and swans it, it is suddenly another world that you step into and it is a world away from the everyday world that you and i would usually inhabit and it's suddenly this feeling of calm and peace and I, I, these days, so many people get so stressed, everything. There's so much anger and going on in the world at the moment. More people need to come to the canal and have a nice walk down the canal or a boat down the canal. As you say, the speed limit is four miles an hour. And frankly, if you're going four miles an hour, you're going too fast. Typically, two to three would be typical. You, if you look at the towpath and think, would I be doing a, a brisk walk at this pace? That's about the pace that you go along. And it does, on the face of it, sound terrifically dull. In fact, um, Harrison Ford and Callista Flockhart have been narrow boating, and they appeared on the Graham Norton show, I think it was a while ago now, and I just happened to see a clip of it. It surfaced on TikTok the other day. And Graham Norton asked Harrison Ford, what, you went canal boating? Wasn't it tremendously dull? And Harrison said, yes. That's why I liked it. And it is just this, I mean, you do have to concentrate. You're steering a 50, 60 foot steel narrowboat weighing 15 tons. You have to concentrate a bit, but it is a kind of dull in a nice way. It's an escape. It's a relaxation. And it just gives you a chance to de-stress, chill out and escape the horrors of the everyday world. It is another, another little universe in the canals. And that's why I like it. Oh, you're I love the way you describe it and like someday I cannot wait to experience it myself because, um, yeah, it just, it, I need that. I need that slow down. <laughs> I need that. Oh, you must, you must. And the good thing is, as you mentioned, anyone can hire a boat, you, 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 you know, from anywhere in the world, you come over here on vacation and as long as there's two people, which is an insurance requirement, weirdly, but you don't have to have any um, license any formal training this is both a good and a bad thing as you can imagine but effectively you can turn up at the hire company hand them a wad of cash and they'll let you have a boat for a week and you just go they they give you the basics but only 45 minutes to an hour's instruction look this is how you steer it don't bang into anything and off you go on the canals and yes come over yeah. do it it's not cheap unfortunately but um it is it is a wonderful way to just have a break 
But, you know, I think that when you say it's not cheap, I compare it to like uh, people that I know that have gone to like France, to the riverboats in France or the river river cruises. So it's not like mm, a full cruise oh, yes. ship. It's like, you know, but you're in with other people, with strangers. You've got a captain. You've got all of that. I would far rather be on my own and like I'm an introvert. So I love to have my alone time and, you know, maybe with one other person or maybe have, um, you know, a couple friends go and we each have boats and we get to go in tandem. Um, but like the idea of kind of captaining my own, piloting my own vessel, I, I just, I love that. That's kind of my, my personality. But, um, and I think a lot of people, it, it's worth the price because if you imagine like what a unique way to experience the world what a unique trip to come back and be mm. like here's this thing and mm. you know you don't even know what you'll run into or um or how far like i guess you would plan like you know however far you think you're going to get in a week and on the cut but but okay i have questions about that like so how many of the 2000 miles have you cruised like oh i really don't know i've never added it up but okay. actually not a huge amount i have some friends who have literally done every accessible mile of the canal uh they took four years they didn't stop pretty much every day they did a bit more of it and went and went and went and went and after four years oh, they'd yes. done the entire 2000 miles now i probably done a quarter of that quite frankly because i would potter around do a couple of hours chugging along in the boat remember three miles now i probably did six miles in a morning i'd go oh that's a nice place to stop look, there's a, a place I can stop there. It's overlooking a field with, as you say, some cows or some donkeys or some horses or something. And you can stop anywhere pretty much on the canal network for up to 14 days at a time. So you moor up, sit, take it easy for a week and then move on for another couple of hours. So at my pace, I didn't get a lot of it covered. Um, <laughs> but you could if you wanted to. Right. Sure. If that was the goal. Um, I love that there. And you lived full time for how long? in your boat seven years i bought the boat in july 2015 moved aboard in october 2015 and then uh ended up having to sell the boat last year was it last year time flies it was yes april 2022 i sold the boat so seven and a half years actually yes wow that's a long time so i have full-time rv'd for two and a half years in a few mm. different rigs and traveled around the u.s circumnavigating kind of you know, avoiding hurricane season and doing this like loop. Um, but I would say at that point, at the two and a half year mark by myself, I got burnout. It was like, okay, I need a brick and mortar. I need to take time off the road. And of course now my form of travel with RV is a, a way more hectic because you've got all the traffic on the highways and you've got to figure out where you're going to stay overnight. You can't just stay anywhere. And you know, it's a, it's a whole different, it, yours, your way sounds much more relaxing. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the RV lifestyle is very similar in many ways, but I don't think it has the same tranquility mm -hmm. as the canals, just because traffic is always a nightmare, isn't it? You, other drivers are always a nightmare, and big thundering things going along at 50, 60 miles an hour. It does not have that same escape until you stop. Then you probably have a similar sort of experience, but the the actual travel bit is is different and, um, on the canals. Yeah, unless you end up at a park where you're like crammed in right next to a bunch of people, and then that's no fun either. So, like, yeah, no, there's no. that. But you did van life as well. Well, I have a camper van. Um, it seems that everyone who's got a boat also fancies a camper van. So I bought a van that was used by a pub in Cardiff, just as a normal van to transport beer around 
and converted it uh, fairly shoddily. I'm not a DIY expert, but enough to do the job. And so, yes, for weekends and things, I never lived in it. I don't intend to live in it, but it's a weekend and getaway kind of vehicle, which, yeah, I also enjoy. And it's it, it's similar and also different. And the, again, the, the sense of community is one thing that's very similar. The van life community, you rock up to an event in a camper van with a load of other people in their camper vans in a field. And before you know it, you're sitting around a campfire chatting away to people you never knew before and having a nice time or like me if you're an introvert you do that for about an hour then that's enough then you run back to your van and shut the door but the boating community also once you have got a boat and you're on a boat you moor up you'll just start talking to other boaters and they don't stop talking let me tell you boaters talk yes i uh, but that community is very strong it is. And I think that's a big uh, that's a big theme that keeps coming up in a lot of my podcast interviews with other people of travel of different types of community, this need for community and the fact that we're losing that sense in our culture right now in a lot of ways. And I think that's probably a big reason why a lot of people are gravitating to RV life because they want that sense of inclusion, that sense of community, kind of breaking down the walls, getting away from you know, the day-to-day -day routine and being able to, you know, camp out and also show their kids, like, you know, get them, get off the devices, get into nature kind of thing. Yes. So, yeah, I think it's so, it's so important. Um, let's see what some of the other questions I had for you, because like you, um, so I also am interested in van life. So now I'm, I'm no longer RVing, you know, I got rid yeah. of my, I had three rigs. I got rid of the fifth wheel. Um, because the roof blew off and, you know, it seemed time. What? <laughs> yeah. A long story, but really, really strong. I was going cross country and, um, Wyoming and, uh, Montana, there were like just horrendously strong winds. And without me knowing the membrane of my roof, air had gotten under it and it had ballooned oh. up like a parachute. Um, oh, my word. so I didn't know this. I was in Iowa and there was a storm that came over and you know, when you're RV, you know, you're on the, you're, I was like, okay, I've got propane. We're going to be warm. I've got food. Come on, daddy, get in the rig. We're going to be fine. We're going to sleep great. The rain's pounding. It's like, no problem. And then I wake up to the dreaded drip inside the rig. And I'm like, oh. and I put my foot down off the bed into three inches of ice cold water. Oh my word. And I instantly had a waterfall and a lake feature in my stateroom that oh, I had not nice. ordered. <laughs> <laughs> Goldfish so, swimming past yes. gently. Oh, isn't this lovely? Where's the swan? Uh, so yeah. Uh long I, I still was optimistic, thinking, no problem. It's gonna go over. I'll stay two days behind. I'm gonna climb up on the roof. I've got cock, I've got tape. We can do this, you know? Exactly. There's nothing but a sycophlex can't fix. <laughs> And I get up there and it was like the whole membrane was sliding off the roof. And I thought, oh dear. yeah, I can't fix that. So no. had to come somewhere where I could wait eight weeks to get it fixed. That's Texas, somewhere where it wouldn't rain for eight, Texas. Mm -hmm. And um, and then by the time I got here, I was just like, you know, PTSD with the weather and tornadoes and just all this stuff. And I was like, I need a break. So that's it. But I still really, this is my first year. I've just finished a full year being in a brick and mortar and out of travel life. Mm. And it is very hard. Mm. Like I want to, I find myself watching your channel, watching other channels. 
I'm like looking at vans. I'm not going to buy a van right now, but I keep looking thinking, well, maybe I could do that. Maybe I could do that. Maybe I, you know, <laughs> so probably Once I'm going to rent. Got it, yeah. Yeah. You, you've got to get back to it. Yes. Yeah. yes. In yeah. some form or another, it's like I have the van now. So if I want to go off, I can do that. I, I have the house with a flushing toilet and running water and all those modern conveniences that you don't get in a boat. Yes. But I've got a van if I want to. That's what I think I need to get to that point. Even this morning, I was having kind of a stressful week and I thought, St. Augustine, I could drive to St. Augustine in a van with Dottie. Wouldn't that be nice to go back there and <laughs> camp out? So do it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of where I'm at. Um, but um, I think that like, you know, I have, I have a lot of admiration for people that do van life full time, like for years. I don't know. A van is a bit small, small. I don't know that I could do full time in a van for that long. It would be interesting. Depends on the van. Yeah. I suppose. Yeah. And the person. Yeah. And also you you have it much better over there for van life than we do over here. I mean just obviously we can nip over to Europe or whatever, but it's it's easier. See you seem to be more set up for it over there with all those um I forget the name of those but those big campsites which are owned by the state or whatever and you can go and park up there for state 14 days at a time and mm -hmm. things like that. Yeah, we don't have that here. People hate people um living in vans over here. <laughs> I just say, I don't know if you follow uh, Heath and Alyssa Paget, but they're, they're also travelers. I know of in the, them. Yeah. In the UK. Yeah. They, well, they were traveling all through Europe with their two kids, small kids in, and renting different rigs, which is pretty interesting as well. Um, they have some good videos about that too, but what it, so, so you're still, you're not, you're not in the boat, but you're still really yeah. passionate. You're still doing videos and you're still. On the cut. Yes. A lot of people thought when I sold the boat, oh, well, that's it then. Cheerio. No more videos. But actually, and I do just want to make this point, I've been turning out videos constantly uh, ever since because I, I like the canals. I enjoy the canals. And a lot of people knowing that I sold my boat have been deluging me in a nice way with offers. Oh, why don't you come and have a, have a go on our boat? And all sorts of different boats, because the modern thing now, most narrow boats are diesel powered, but a lot of them are turning hybrid, going electric. So quite a few people said, come and see our electric hybrid narrow boat. And whatever you think the pros and cons of lithium batteries are and so on, it's something of interest to go and have a look at and experience. And some people have these really classic, my next video is on a couple of boats that are, were built in the 1930s and they're still going strong and they're being used by a, a charitable trust which preserves the heritage ways of working. So all these lovely offers for me to go and experience much more boating than I ever did when I lived on the boat. So, yes, I'm definitely still producing the videos about it. And, uh, and, and, and just showcasing different aspects of the canals. I love that. I think also, like, uh, for me, uh, it was hard for me to do everything. It was hard for me to travel and do RV life and also video or, or, you know, uh, capture it on with media. Mm. I feel like now that I'm away from it, it's easier for me to go to rallies. It's easier for me if I have equipment, you know, it's, uh, I have more time. There's definitely, definitely. Yeah. And, um, hateful though, traveling by road sometimes can be, it does mean, as you say, you can go to events when I was on the boat uh, I, I I had a car. I still owned a car, but when I was traveling, the car would stay back back at a marina or somewhere safe. So if someone said, "Why don't you come along and film our event this weekend?" I'd have to look up trains and taxis, and it wasn't necessarily feasible. But now I'm just in a house with a car, like everybody you know, like a normal human being. I can drive off 
and go to these things and highlight all these different events. So there's, there's pros and cons. There is. There is for sure. I went, I'm my last uh, towing the fifth wheel. I had a 2,500 diesel truck, um, this huge mammoth thing. Well, now, you know, got rid of everything and downsized. I have a Kia Soul. I have this little tiny car and I love it. Uh, yes. So I get great gas <laughs> mileage and I scoot around everywhere and it's wonderful. It's uh, I love it. It's super fun. So, yeah, I think it's just a different perspective. And I think that like travel, um, I talk a lot about this as well on my podcast, like travel isn't just actually traveling. Sometimes it's traveling in your mind. Sometimes it's just mm -hmm. experiencing a different perspective or a different thought uh, about it versus versus just having to go do the thing because not everyone can. Not everyone can just take off and not everyone has the money. to. I mean, gas prices alone, the last year I was RVing was horrendous. So uh, so it's real. It's not cheap. It's not mm. a cheap form of, mm. of transportation, unlike no, you know, so no, no. Well, the current fuel prices over here are about one one pound fifty four for a liter. That's about I suppose one dollar eighty a liter or something. I don't know what that translates to in U.S. gallons, but it's not cheap. No, I think there's two and a half liters to a gallon or something. I don't know. Yeah, I'd have to look up the conversion. But um, mm. yeah, it's definitely not, not cheap. cheap. That's not the cheap. that's the yeah. That's yeah. the point. Not cheap. Um, so uh, I'm curious. Like you, you got into all of this um, coming from this broadcasting background, uh, mm. and uh, and I. I, I, from my outside perspective, I think it's wonderful that you've been able to spin your talents for interviewing and all the things and you put it into something you're really passionate about that you can kind of, that's like you can control really that you get to decide. Mm -hmm. Yes, um, yes, yes. But um, how, how do you feel about your life so far? And, and uh, is there anything you would change or do differently if you were to look back? Oh, like, don't get me started. This is like sitting back on the, uh, on the couch and yes. what would you change? Oh. <laughs> so many regrets. I've had a few, but then again, so many to mention. Uh, I mean, I started out in IT originally, um, funnily enough, just because I was reasonably competent at it. And it, it, it was something I did at university and I, I fell into IT, but I got very bored of IT. Uh, so then and I had always wanted to work in radio. I always wanted to be a radio DJ. Um, but I'm not a very good radio DJ, it turns out. I'm a much better radio newsreader. I have a, the demeanor and the voice of a radio newsreader. So I ended up working in radio news, which is how I ended up working in television news. Uh, and then eventually I got fed up with that and, and went to work, uh, as I say, and went to uh, just work making YouTube, which you you mentioned that in, in that introduction there. But I, I can decide for myself what I do. So instead of an editor saying to me, this morning, David, you're going out on this story about a cat stuck up a tree, I can say, ah, we did that last week. I don't want to do the cat stuck up a tree again. I can decide my own agenda now, which is lovely. Um, there are downsides to... Uh, at the moment, this very morning, I was looking at my planning sheet for what's coming up, and Christmas is coming, and I've got videos planned up till Christmas, and then suddenly there's this huge hole from January, February onwards. I'm like, oh my word, I've got to come up with some stuff. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you, you have to be a bit of everything when you do work for yourself. That is the downside. You've, you've not only got to film and edit and script, but you've got to produce and plan and, and chase people and do the accounting and all those other things. But I do enjoy it. Um, what would I change in my life? I, you, you can't really say what you'd change because you don't know how anything else would have turned out. There are little points I can look back on and I think, well, what would have happened if I'd, I'd gone off here or if I hadn't done this or whatever. But who knows? Who knows? 
I've got to the point I am and it's okay. Yeah, no, it's good. I think, well, maybe a better question would be, um, what, what, what is your, do you have a vision for your future? Do you have a vision or do you just like, I'm here and I take it. Are you just like, I'm going to see where things go and take it one day at a time kind of person? I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> really none. I wish I did. It's almost my, my vision of the future at the moment is almost limited to this point at Christmas when suddenly there's a blank in my calendar. Um, I really don't know. I've got um, some some family commitments I'm currently dealing with kind of in the background, and that will be ongoing until such time as it's not ongoing, if you, if you catch my drift. Um, so I don't quite know. Ultimately, I suppose I'd like to, I mean, we're looking well into the future. I'd just like to go and retire on a little cottage on a cliff overlooking the sea and sit in a deck chair and drink nice cups of tea and, and ponder the universe. But hopefully that's a little way off. Yeah. I, I feel like I love that vision too. Always in my mind is like a, a seascape of let's if I need to relax, that's kind of where I go mentally. Um, but I think I, I don't know if I would get bored at some point. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I would, because the, the the vision in my head is lovely. Yeah. But five minutes later, I'll be going, right, now what? Yeah, exactly, exactly. But it's a lovely image. And, you know, you'd find something to do, something to occupy yes. your time. Yes, I think that's one. Well, of the I, yeah. my little seaside seascape has to be at a quaint little fishing village with yes. a little sort of inlet of boats. So I can go down and, and talk to people and potter about. I have some little motorboat just to amuse myself. I'm sure there are other aspects to the uh, the bucolic vision uh, other than just sitting staring over the cliff top. Yes. <laughs> Popping down to the bakery, the local bakery that opens in the morning that has the nice fresh, oh, yeah. fresh bread, yes. yes, donuts, yes. Yeah, coffee for me, yeah. And then, of course, there has to be my vision has wine of some sort. There has to be like a vineyard <laughs> nearby. <laughs> right. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> we digress. But a I, French beach for you then. Yes, exactly. Um, or an Italian one, perhaps. Or Italian, yeah. Um, so uh, another thought I had when we were talking, I was like, would you ever consider like being for hire, like as a guide for narrow boats? Um. <laughs> Yep. It's crossed my mind, but two reasons why not. One, I am I am quite introverted for all the um, talking to people that I can do. Uh, you know, if people want to say hello on, when you're on the boat. Oh, lovely, lovely, hello, hello. But then I almost immediately want them to go away again. Uh, that is classic introvert. Um, and also, the trouble with people paying you for you to then be on call to them is what if they're awful yeah and there are some awful people around and yeah. imagine being stuck on a boat with them for two days or however long they've paid you to be there going and um i know that that's kind of looking on the doom side but oh, it's, it's it, it would happen and pl clients i have been self-employed a couple of times through my life and the one thing is clients are awful <laughs> you know just yes. it's too much hassle work for yourself and do your own thing because yeah. clients are always terrible yeah i feel like for me the nightmare would be um you know the person who wakes up really early and is just super chatty in the morning i just uh, oh, oh no. no 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 i'm not an early riser <laughs> and i can't talk to people for like a while like 
Well, I like the fact that when you mentioned hiring a boat earlier, a lot of people will go with friends, but they'll all pile in on the same boat. And your definition is we'll each have our own boat. Oh, 100%. I think that says it all. Yeah, exactly. It's like you need, well, you said this on one of your videos, the introvert paradox. And I was like, I've yes. never heard anyone say this because, okay, people see me and they're like, you're not introverted. You talk to people, you're, you're quite sociable and all this. And I'm like, yeah, but I have to hide from you. And, and it takes me days to like fill back mm. up on my own. Mm. Um, mm. And, but at the same time, I'm sitting there alone going, gosh, wouldn't it be nice to have someone here to chat? But then I don't yes, really want it. Yes. Like, it's that, yeah. S sitting there in the <laughs> evening, staring at WhatsApp going, why is nobody talking to me? Yeah. <laughs> but then of course, if they, if they actually call, oh no, no, no I can't answer. <laughs> I don't want to answer that. <laughs> it's so annoying. <laughs> I think you should write a book about that because I don't think anyone ever discusses like this issue. <laughs> <laughs> How trying being an introvert can I be. Know. It really is. I mean, I know we're like a fraction of this, you know, this is our society, but still a very important one. Yeah. And a lot of people just I'll don't, put it on my to do list. Yeah, you should. You mm. should do a whole a video about this of just and you could dedicate it to me, your fellow okay. <laughs> introvert. <vet. laughs> Here's how you plan a trip with friends, separate things. You can always separate things. Yeah. I like the, I like the separate boats because you could, you know, you could accidentally slip your mooring and, oh gosh, I don't know how I got away from you, but I'll catch up with you no. in the next town. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Know? Yes. Yes. Just, yeah. Anyway, I do love my friends. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, same here. No, this is the, this is the paradox part. Yeah. I, I, I have a, a small group of very good friends and then a wider circle as most people do of nice acquaintances and they're lovely. And I do want to see them. But at the same time, as soon as I've seen them and I come home and I shut the door, I go, oh, thank heavens I'm home. Yes. And it's it's odd. It is an odd thing. That was the to thing. To be so, uh, it, it, yeah. It's, it's, I, I thought I was, there was a problem with me. But now I, I feel reassured talking to you that it's. Oh, oh good. <laughs> <laughs> if I've achieved nothing else. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Because I feel like I had the same thing with RV life where, um, so I would work all day in, in the rig, working nine to five, my, my day job as a software engineer. And then, mm. you know, I would open my door in the, you know, in the evening to go, ah, oh, I'm at the campsite. I want to sit outside and have a nice, you know, cocktail or wine, glass, just relax. And mm. then people just start talking to me and talking to me, talking to me. And I'd be like, just because I'm outside. So I actually came up with the idea of making signs that say like if I'm available or not just because I'm outside doesn't mean I'm available to talk <laughs> like I thought yeah and that might be kind you of you know rude, people but... are going to walk straight past those signs I know because they? they'll they'll see him and go oh that's nice anyway hey tell me about this sign I know, I know and then and then the thing is too when you're alone you're solo traveling they immediately feel like it's mostly couples and families so they're like oh poor girl you need come come hang out and I'm like no no really I'm I'm really good I'm yeah. really my dog's mm. vicious Dottie bark and she's of course you know trying to get love <laughs> Yeah, it just, yeah, it was a whole thing. Anyway, so you should, yeah, yeah you need to highlight this. This is, well, um, <laughs> I don't have any, I mean, I could talk to you for a, a long time. This has been such, such fun. Um, oh, good. And hopefully good. Uh, I am planning to come abroad. I have this fantasy of playing golf uh, in Scotland and um, I'm learning Scottish fiddle tunes from a lady in Edinburgh. So, oh yes, you mentioned yes. Yeah. Yes. So, I'm um, by the time I have enough tunes that I can join the sessions, like know enough of them, 
I'll be able to afford to go over there. So that's what we're doing. <laughs> I have about 25 down so far. So we're, we're getting there. Sounds but, um, good. Yeah, right? You know, playing in the pubs at night, playing golf during the day, and then I'll just have to pop down and, and I'll reach out to you and uh, I'd do love to- Do a bit to, of canal boating. I would love to do that. That would be so much fun. Yeah. Perfect. Excellent. Well, is there anything if else? If we don't go, oh no, no, yeah. I'm, I'm hiding today. Go away. <laughs> I, I really, I'm, I'm kind of concerned about the fact that you have to have two people on the boat like that. I'll have to figure that out. Maybe a mannequin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, it's, it's basically because when you go through the locks, yes. uh, you can single hand. I, I lived on the boat on my own. You can perfectly happily go through the locks and do it all single handed. But the hire companies and their insurers don't like it. Yes. So, no, and to be yeah. fair, to be fair, the other flip side of it is that, um, you know, I I did find at the end of my RV life, you'd get to a point where you're like, it, you you wish you had someone to share it with, you you, you do, mm. and so mm. you know maybe not 100 percent of the time, but like you do, you wish. <laughs> so who was that very famous couple who lived in back to back houses? Oh, um, brilliant, wasn't it Tim Burton and? Um, oh yeah. Um, uh, Helena Bonham Carter. Am I thinking of the right couple? I'm sure there were a couple. It may or may not have been them who were married but lived in separate houses next door. I thought perfect. That's brilliant. Or even like the duplexes or or whatever. Yeah, mm -hmm. just or or you have the main house and like the 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 cottages or whatever and back and you can you know yeah oh that would yeah. be amazing. All right, we'll start a new trend. Yeah, I do. <laughs> well, anyway, David, thank you so much for chatting with me. And um, at, tell people how they can find you besides coming to the cut. Okay. Well, as you mentioned right at the start, there are four seasons of the show on Amazon Prime. And that takes you up to the end of 2019 that's also all available on youtube because really i'm a youtuber i sort of reformatted it and re-edited it and remixed it and so on for, for prime and to make it more like tv like half hour episodes so uh, but from 2020 onwards it's youtube only but it's there's loads of stuff there all the remainder of my travels up to the point where i sold the boat and then after i sold the boat all these little mini documentaries i do about canal life are all there as well so youtube just look for cruising the cut and it's the cut because the canals were cut out of the land, and that's why it's referred to as the cut. Excellent. And then you do have some other channels. You have Vandemonium, which was your kind of van conversion. Yeah, kind of... Vandemonium on YouTube, it, it documents originally the build of my van and then a few travels since. It's very sporadic. It's not one of those YouTube channels where you get an, a video every week. Far from it. I think the last one I posted was about two months ago. So as and when I do something in the van... I might post a video about it. But yes, there's there's quite a few videos there of people like a bit of van stuff and nice. would like to see a man making a shambolic attempt at converting a van and uh, go and have a look at Vandemonium. Excellent. And and as far as the Canal and River Trust, I know that there was a call to action for um, like keep the ca canal alive. So if listeners want to contribute or be involved in some way. Well, listeners in the UK are encouraged to write to their member of parliament and express their general dissatisfaction with the funding and so on and so forth, or just to send some money to the Canal Road Trust. Now, unfortunately, and I had this question from a viewer just a couple of days ago, uh, someone in America was saying, well, how can I help? Because they went onto the Canal and River Trust's page all about Keep Canals Alive, and it's all very UK-centric. And I said, I don't know. And unfortunately, I don't have a good answer for that because... I mentioned this to the Canal and River Trust, said there are loads of people abroad who want to come here for canal holidays. They will want to support the campaign to get more funding and so on for the canals. 
so the, the CRT are aware of it, but their web page at the moment doesn't offer a convenient way for you to uh, do much, unfortunately, other than you can send a donation to the CRT if you feel so inclined. But other than that, I don't think there's a lot you can do, really. Or I guess merch. You could buy some merch, maybe, you know, a portion yeah, of the, the proceeds. T-shirt yeah. or whatever. Yeah. 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 Well, or just go, you know. Come use the canals. Exactly. The more people come over, hire, use the canals, then the, the more they get used and the more people appreciate the benefits. And I'm going to just very quickly point out, uh, because this is one of the key aspects that the Canal and River Trust keep wanting to hammer home to the government or anyone else who will listen, is that it's not just about people on boats, which is kind of a privileged minority who can afford a boat and, and go chugging But it is such a relaxing and calming environment that it's actually good for your mental health. It's good for your physical health, walking along, breathing the fresh air. And there are so many different ways you can use the canal, whether it is fishing or walking or jogging or whatever, that they are the canals are a very valuable thing for everybody. It's not just for the rich people who want to go boating at weekends. They they offer something to everybody. It's not as exclusive because I feel like in America there's like marinas and you can walk down to the marina's edge and maybe have lunch there or like, you know, look at boats. But it's definitely different. Like in your – it was episode 304 where you talked to um, uh, Richard. And uh, what part of what I loved about your interview with him is he's sitting there answering questions, but behind him – all the people, hey, hello, and they're chatting and their dogs and they're walking their dogs and they're visiting with neighbors yes. and pointing here and there. And just like it was very much a community. It seems like it's a it's a thread of the community that's uh, mm. larger than the canal, really. It's it ties Definitely. everything together. So I love yes. that. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Excellent. David, thank you so much. Um, thank you for inviting me on. It's been yeah. a pleasure. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon, hopefully. All righty. Cheerio. Cheerio. You can find Flipping Dreams Podcast anywhere you love to listen to podcasts, or you can find us on RogueMediaNetwork.com. You can also find me on my social media, Facebook at Heather Renee May, on Instagram at underscore every day is May, or on my website at Heather Renee May. Dot com. That's Heather, R-E-N-E-E-M-A-Y dot com. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.